Now, we are going, we're continuing our exposition of the book of Colossians. We want to finish up chapter 2. I was hoping that I would finish the book completely before I have my departure, my exodus from Calvary, but I don't think I'll be able to do that. But I didn't want to leave this particular section out because it is such a tremendous passage. The entire section that I'll be preaching on, my message, could be illustrated in a story that was told by an author by the name of Peter Kreeft. He told a story of a poor European family who saved for years to buy tickets in order to sail to America. Once at sea, the family carefully rationed the cheese and bread they had brought along for the journey. But after three days at sea, the young boy complained to his father. He says, Dad, I hate cheese sandwiches. If I don't eat anything else before we get to America, I'm going to die. So the father gave the boy the last dime or nickel that he had in his pocket. And he told the young boy to go to the gallery and to buy an ice cream cone. Well, young fellow went, but it was at least two or three hours before he came back. And the father was getting worried. And then finally he saw the boy coming. He says, where have you been? The young boy says, in the gallery, eating three ice cream cones and a steak dinner. <laughs> you got all of that for a nickel? The father asked him. Oh, no, the young man said. The food is free. You see, it comes with the ticket. It comes with the ticket. Now, in this chapter, the Apostle Paul warned his readers about false teachers who were offering them bread and cheese instead of steak. They were in danger of forgetting Christ's suffering and relying on their own self-effort. We'll see as we go through this passage. But he wants to emphasize that for those of us who have trusted Christ for our salvation, that Jesus Christ has not only assured us of a safe passage to heaven, but also he has given us everything we need for the journey as well. Christ is all we need. It comes with the ticket. That's what Paul talks about here. I've entitled this particular message, Walking in the Word in the Light of the Word. Now, I've used a little word play or play on words here. This is what I'm really trying to say. Walking in the living word in the light of the written word. That's what Paul is talking about in this passage. How we can really enjoy Christ if we understand him as he is revealed to us in the written word. Walking in the living word in the light of the written word. And so Paul reveals what believers enjoy in Christ in order to encourage us to remain faithful to the word of God, the revelation that God has given to us in the written word. And in doing so, he makes a direct attack on the false teachings at Colossae at that time, the heresies that were being taught and that were distracting the people of God away from the head, Jesus Christ, as well as from the word of God. This is what it says in verse 8. This is where we left off last time. He says, don't let anyone capture you. Now, the word can also be translated kidnap, 
or seduce or to take as a slave. You see, false teachers always want to control those who they are teaching. That's why Christians must continue to guard their freedom in Christ from false teachers because all of them try to get you in bondage again, either to themselves or to some man-made tradition. Don't let anyone kidnap or seduce you or take you as a slave. How? With empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. If you want to hear some nonsense, just turn on your radio sometimes and listen to the messages that are given on the stations at times. It's just nonsense. It's a disgrace how God, people who say they are God's servants are using the word of God today. With empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Where does it come from? That come from human thinking. Human thinking. It's all made up in, your own, in their own minds. It's not in the word. They might look at the word and say, now let's go to it. But they depart from it immediately. And from spiritual powers of this world. Now we know from Paul's teachings that spiritual powers here has to do with demonic spirits who influence those who seek to take away the people of God from God. That's why he says, rather than from Christ. See, anything that does not come from Christ when it comes to living the Christian life is of no value to you or me at all. It has to come from Christ, and it comes through the word of God. You see, the problem with the world's philosophy is that it defines truth by a standard other than God's word. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It is human discovery, not divine revelation. That's what Paul is saying about. But then he goes on to verse 9. He says, for, now that preposition there for those of you who are Bible said, knows that he's given now a reason for what he has just said. For in Christ, in other words, in Christ all the fullness of God dwells in a human body. He's saying, hey, everything that we need that has to do with deity is to be found in Christ. You don't have to go outside of Christ for anything that pertains to life and to godliness. Verse 10, you are complete through your union with Christ. He's going to be emphasizing what it means to be in union with Christ in this passage. That's how we are to live in him. And the only way we could live in him in all the fullness that God wants us to do is if we understand the revelation that he has given us about Jesus Christ. Paul asserts here that salvation is in Christ. He is the head of the church, but he is also the head of angelic and demonic realms at all. Jesus is in control. No matter how things may seem around us, how chaotic, how, uh, I don't know what word, just to be so confusing, seems to have no purpose. Jesus Christ is still in control. And as we saw in chapter 1, he carries everything along. He leads everything along. This is where the word teleos comes into place. There's a plan ahead that leads to complete maturity is a plan ahead that can meet, that leads to fullness completeness jesus christ is in control in christ lives all the fullness of god in a human body in other words jesus christ is god a very god 
please don't just pass that by. Try to think about who God is. Who God is. Everything that you can think about when it comes to deity or who a true God is, Jesus Christ is. Because in him lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Notice, so we are complete in our union with him. But we're only complete if we are united to him. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are apart from him. You are not united with him. You cannot enjoy this life that he's talking about here, this fullness of life. You must come place your faith in Christ if you're going to be placed in Christ. But then uh, he goes on, he says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Now this is quite a strange illustration for Paul to use, but it's a good one. It's a perfect one, in fact. And sometimes it becomes a little uneasy to talk about it in a mixed audience. But I think that fear or that embarrassment might go away as you see the significance here. Because this is a very important truth he's talking about here. Notice what he says. He defines it. When you came to Christ, something happened to you. You were circumcised. But not by a physical procedure. In other words, he's saying this circumcision was a spiritual one. And it happens to every person who places faith in Jesus Christ. This circumcision is important because it cuts us away from the filth of the world. And it causes us to be separated unto Christ. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. The cutting away of your sinful nature. And if you are a Christian, that happened to you when you placed faith in Jesus Christ. And you're going to see that Paul is actually saying that the death of Christ was an act of spiritual circumcision. The death of Christ on the cross was an act of spiritual circumcision. That's what he's going to be saying. You see, Paul is using an Old Testament covenant sign in a spiritual or metaphorical way. In the Old Testament, the only way that you could become a part of the people of God is if you were circumcised. That was your entrance into the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is saying here. The same thing happens in a Christian's life spiritually. The old life is cut away completely. That's how you become a part of the family of God. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Speaking to the Jews. For you are not a Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by God's spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. He says the same thing in Philippians 3.3. Tremendous passage. He says, For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who truly are circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. And so we put no confidence in human effort. Actually, 
this scripture defines a Christian. If you want a definition for a Christian, here it is. A Christian is a person who worships God by the Holy Spirit without the assistance of the flesh because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the definition of a Christian. We worship God through the power of the Spirit of God based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and we rely not on the flesh. That is why when we come together and we say that we are leading in praise and worship and so on, we got to be careful we don't rely on fleshly activities to lead us or to give us what we need to worship. Because we cannot worship God if we rely on anything that comes from the flesh. Nothing at all. It must be worship in the spirit. So I define worship this way. Worship is the impact of the spirit of God upon the spirit of man when we become aware of the presence of the divine spirit. It's all a spiritual activity. When in your spirit, not in your emotions, in your spirit, you become aware of the presence of the triune God, then your spirit responds in worship. It has to. That's why Paul, that's why Jesus said, those who worship him must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. This is what he's talking about here. Now he goes on to explain that. These are ancient words we sang about. Ancient words, how does it go, Eleanor, that guide us? Some people today are saying that we don't need these ancient words anymore. We need new revelations. That's absolute nonsense. That's foolishness. These are the ancient words that can lead us home. For you were buried with Christ. He sees explaining to us now our relationship with Jesus Christ and how we came into this relationship. How we became children of God through the spiritual act of circumcision. For you were buried with Christ. When? When you were baptized. Now, again, this is where interpretation of scripture is so important. There are some groups, some real fine people use the scripture to show that you must be baptized in water in order to be saved. You see? You must be baptized in water in order to be saved. But he's, spirit, he's talking about a spirit baptism here. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised. All of this is a spiritual transaction. All of it. You were raised to new life. Why? Because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That's why and how we become a child of God. By trusting Jesus Christ through the mighty power of God who raised him from the dead. He wants to tell us now that not only has the death of Christ cut us away from the world. But the resurrection of Christ has now given us the mighty power of God to live a life. That takes us on to our eternal home. All believers share Jesus' Christ's suffering, death, and burial. But we will also share his resurrection and glory. But the point Paul is making here is, is that the resurrection power is not something we can experience in heaven only. But we can experience that power right now. That's why salvation must always be seen in three tenses. In the past, save 
from the penalty of sin. In the present, being saved from the power of sin. How? By the mighty power of God the resurrected Christ, in the resurrected Christ. And finally, we will be saved from the very presence when Jesus Christ comes to take us to be with himself, what we're going to be looking at in chapter 3. But he talks about this mighty power of God in the resurrection in Romans. This is what Paul says in Romans. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, all Paul is focusing on in Colossians is Jesus Christ, the son of God. And he's talking about it here as well. In the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Remember we talked about it last week. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, for in them you believe you can find eternal life. He says, they are they, the scriptures talk of me, speak of me. You're right in searching the scriptures for salvation, but you must realize that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And if you interpret scripture correctly, you will always come to the person of Jesus Christ, always. He says in verse 4, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. That same power Paul is teaching us now in Colossians is available to the Christian who has been united to Jesus Christ because of faith in him as our Savior. According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus our Lord. Notice he goes on now, verse 13. He's reminding the Christians of what they were. Before they became united to Christ. And we need to be aware of that if we're really going to be thankful people. Thankful Christians are those who really realize what they've been saved from. Paul continually reminds the believer of that. You were dead because of your sins. Dead spiritually. Because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, was not yet circumcised. That's what he's saying. Because your sinful nature was not yet circumcised spiritually by Christ. But now he goes on to explain what happens when we place faith in Jesus Christ. He says, then God made you alive with Christ through his mighty power. He made you alive. The same resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ also raised us as believers We've experienced that when we were circumcised and, and died with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. Forgiveness is necessary for us to be made alive in Christ. In order for us to be in Christ, our sins must be forgiven. And that only comes to placing faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the one who took the penalty for our sin upon himself. You can be saved no other way. I listened to a message the other day preached by a fellow who believed that spirit, that water baptism was necessary for salvation. And he said, now, it doesn't forgive our sins, but it's necessary nonetheless. Once my sins are forgiven, what is necessary for my relationship with God to be placed in Christ? Nothing else. Now, it doesn't mean that water baptism is not important for the Christian. It is. And if you're here and you profess to be a believer and you've never placed 
I'm sorry, you have never been baptized. You are being a disobedient, rebellious Christian. To be an unbaptized Christian is an anomaly in Scripture. And if you're not being baptized, you are disobedient. You are rebelling against Jesus Christ and his commands in the word of God. So it is important for obedience, but it's not important for salvation. It's not vital for salvation. And so Paul reminds the Colossians of the separation that existed between them and God prior to their conversion. Now, beloved, please, if you are here and do not know Christ as Savior, need to emphasize you are separated from God. You are away from God. You are an enemy of God. God is not your enemy, but you are an enemy of God simply because you have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. There's no worse situation you can ever be in than to be separated from God. None at all. And so we plead with you today, if you have never placed faith in Christ, please do that now. If the Spirit of God is, respond, is speaking to your life, speaking to your heart, respond to the Spirit and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says that these Colossians, like all Christians before they were saved, they were dead in their sinful practices because of their spiritual circumcision, because their spiritual circumcision had not taken place in their lives. They had an uncircumcised nature. Now, those of you who are here who understand circumcision, you'll know what we're talking about. If you don't, please find a doctor, nurse to tell you why they cut off the skin and all that, but I won't go into that right now, all right? But God had raised them from the dead spiritually, Paul is saying, making them spiritually alive in Jesus Christ. Once they were separated, but now they're brought together in the fellowship of the believers and the forgiveness of sin was the, was the basis for that, placing faith in Christ. He goes on. This is what happened now. He, that's Jesus, canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. This is a fantastic statement for believers. This is a, an amazing statement. Now, the different versions translate this phrase differently. The New American Standard Bible says, having canceled out the certificate of debt, we owed something. The New King James says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, certain things were required, a debt was required we couldn't pay. Certain things were requirements we couldn't meet. The New American Standard says, erasing the record. There was a record there, written in the books that could be seen. The English version says, it canceled the unfavorable record of our debts. The New Jerusalem Bible says, he has wiped out the record of our debt to the law. And to me, that best fits the picture that Paul is talking about. Jesus Christ, through his death, through his act of spiritual circumcision, has wiped out the record of our debt to the law. He's cut us off from it. It doesn't affect us anymore. Nothing at all. He's going to emphasize this as we go on. Nothing that has to do with the law affects us anymore because Jesus Christ lived out the law perfectly on our behalf. He met every requirement of the law. And once it was met, it was complete finished. So God does not only forgive sin, 
but he blots out all the charges and complaints against us by accepting the righteousness of Jesus Christ for us. So he doesn't just take away our sin and leaves us naked, as it were. He just doesn't wash us clean, as it were. But then he clothes us. He clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Righteousness, the clothes that we need to stand before God. You cannot go to this banquet in glory without the right clothes, the right garments. And those garments are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus was made sin for us and has removed sin from our midst, nailing it to the cross. In other words, when Jesus died, it was finished. I, let me repeat something here. Jesus lived under and fulfilled the Mosaic Covenant requirements. He performed what sinful fallen mankind like you and me could not do. His death, therefore, was not for his personal sin because he knew no sin. But he became a perfect sacrifice for our sin. The Bible tells us that he was cursed so that we might be delivered from the curse of the law. When Jesus Christ died, he died under the curse of the law. But when he did it, he removed that curse from us. So we won't have to die under that curse. Now when it says kneeling into the cross, it probably refers to the charges, you know, that were placed over a crucified person. Whatever the person was guilty of and why he was being crucified was placed on there, on the cross. It was nailed to the cross. And once he died, that debt was paid. He died. He paid for it. Jesus took every accusation, every requirement, every demand of the Old Testament law, and he nailed it to the cross. And when he died, he cut it away from us. We were circumcised spiritually through the death of Jesus Christ. A wonderful picture if you understand it. Now verse 15, notice what he says. In this way, what way? On the cross, through the crucifixion, nailing our debts to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers. He defeated the demonic spirits that was against him, all of the spiritual powers that was against him. He defeated them. He disarmed them, the spiritual rulers and authorities. Now that word disarmed is an interesting one. It means to strip away from. It is used to describe the taking weapons from defeated soldiers. The believer's victory is of God through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ stripped away all of the weapons that the enemy had. All of them. We need not fear them anymore. Because Jesus Christ has stripped them of their weapons. Christ's sacrifice has removed from the Christian the dominion of power, of the power of the devil. We have been released from the guilt and dominion of sin. And our triumph has been held up before the world, before demonic spirits, held up. It caused shame and embarrassment to the demonic world, to the powers that be.
This is a beautiful picture of victory of Jesus Christ. He's using a picture here of a Roman commander who goes out to battle and is victorious. And he comes back to his city now, to his home. And all of his enemies are tied in chains and he's dragging them behind him. That's the picture here. All of the demonic spirits that were against us and against Jesus Christ. He has chained them. And he is leading now in victory. And he shames in all of the demonic world. He shamed them publicly. In fact, to use a Bahamian term, he made a poppy show out of them on the cross. He shamed them publicly. How? By his victory over them on the cross. Now, of course, Paul ties the act of the cross and the resurrection as one act. When he's talking about victory of the cross, he's talking about the victory of the resurrection as well. One, the New American Standard Bible translates this phrase, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. The New King James Version says, he made a public spectacle of them, meaning the demonic forces, triumphing over them in it. The New Revised Standard Version says, he made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. The, English, the New English Version says, he made a public spectacle of them by leading them as captives in his victory procession. Beautiful picture. The New, the New Jerusalem Bible puts it this way. He paraded them in public behind him in his triumphal procession. So this, if you ever want to read a passage about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, don't read the passage we talk when he entered Jerusalem because that was by no means triumphant. Read the story of the, the crucifixion and resurrection. That's the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ. The captives were marched behind him in chains. And by his death on the cross and his resurrection, Joseph, Jesus overcame the curse of the law as well as the hostility of angelic powers. He defeated them all. That's Jesus. A complete, absolute victory. And we are united to him in that. We also are victors. We are more than conquerors to Christ Jesus who loved us. Amen? So he goes on now. He laid a foundation. Paul is a tremendous teacher. He gives a doctrine first. And then he applies it. That's what he does. He gives a doctrine of what it means to be united with Christ. To be circumcised by the death, the resurrection of Christ. He says we have everything we need in Christ. Complete victory. We need nothing else. Now he applies it. So, because of what I have just taught you, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain, certain holy days or new moons, new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. You see, these Judaizers, it seems that these false teachers were what they call Judaizers. They said they were Christians. But they wanted to add to faith in Christ. In order to become a Christian, you got to first become a Jew. And what did the Jew do? They buried all of the, the rituals that were given in the Old Testament. He's saying now, if you want to become a Christian, even as a Gentile, you have to do that too. Paul is saying, hey, that's nonsense. 
When, I, when Christ died on the cross, he cut away all those requirements. He cut away all of those demands. Everything. So Paul says, let no one act as your judge. Let no one judge you. These are some of the other ways of citing this. Do not let anyone condemn you. Don't let one make rules for you. Never let anyone criticize you on these things. In other words, if there's anything that is added to the work of Christ, his act of on the cross of circumcising us, cutting our old nature away from us, if anyone adds anything to what Christ has done, hey, don't take it. Get away from it. Don't let anyone embarrass you or try to manipulate you in saying that, yes, faith is all right in Christ, but that's not enough. You've got to do this. You've got to observe this day, or you've got to be baptized, or you've got to become a church member, or you've got to become a part of this activity or that activity. Anything that you add to Christ as the basis for your salvation or what you need to live the Christian life is to be rejected. That's what he's saying here. We are not to let anyone judge us by standards that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ or that are legalistic in nature. And believe it, some Christians do that today to other Christians. Some of us are more Pharisaical than the Pharisees in the Old, in the New Test, in the Old Testament by demanding that we do this, demanding that we do that in order to gain our uh, Satisfaction from Christ. Now Paul goes on to chapter 16. I'm, for, I'm sorry, verses 16 to 23. And these are the strongest condemnation of religious legalism in Paul's writings. And he's following his master, Jesus Christ. Jesus had the harshest word for those who profess to be the people of God. Jesus had the most critical statements against those who say that they were the children of God. But they were taking the traditions of men and making them to become the traditions of God. Paul is following in Jesus' steps and condemning all of that. All of that, he says, is nonsense. Now, when you read this passage, you'll see that Paul talks about three things, three particular areas when it came to ritualism and so on. Matter of food, you shouldn't eat certain things. Special days, you have to observe certain days. The worship of angelic beings, now that has to do with mysticism. Feeling that you have to, and it's coming back into the church today. Feeling that you could get revelation from God apart from the Holy Scripture. I was just talking to my wife, Nancy, because she likes these devotional books. And I bought her one of them without looking at who the author really was. And then I read something that she had written in another book. And I said, no, man, this can't be the same woman I bought who wrote this book. She wrote the book by going into the woods and waiting to hear Jesus speak to her apart from the word. That's what she said. She said, yeah, I read the Bible, but I wanted to get more. And the only way I could get more is to be by myself, to go and to meditate. 
and let God speak to me. My question is, how does she know who is speaking to her? Especially if she's looking for message apart from the Bible. You see? Remember we did a thing here with Joyce Mayer the other day, some time ago. And she said when she gets up, or when she got up for this particular message, she wasn't looking at the Bible. She was listening to the voice that was speaking to her as she spoke. Right away, I don't want to hear that. If you've got to look for something else outside the Bible, that's what Paul is saying. Hey, you don't need that. Don't let anyone manipulate. No one capture you. Don't let anyone bring you into the slavery of listening to anything apart from the Bible when it comes to things spiritual. Paul says, why? Verse 17. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. Shadows, not the real thing, not the real substance. Notice what he says. And Christ himself is that reality. Why in the world are you going to be dealing with shadows when you got the real thing? You know, when I go away, you know, and I miss Nancy, I take out a picture, I look at her. Now, but when I come back home, I don't want to look at the picture. I want to look at her. Isn't that right? That's what Paul is saying here. Why are you so foolish looking at the picture when the real person is here? That's what he's saying. Christians are not to be judged according to shadowy standards that point to that which is already a reality in their lives. That's what he's telling these Jewish people who have been told that they had to keep the symbols that spoke of Christ, that pointed to Christ in order to be saved. Paul is saying, no, no, no. The real thing is here. You could disregard that. So don't let anyone fool you or manipulate you or make you feel bad when you don't observe these feasts any longer or you don't think that the day is special or whatever it is. How many of you believe that Sunday is a holy day? Well, the years ago, well, let me say years ago, Times with people to look at Sunday as a holy day. Isn't that right? You couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. You were just like these people here. See, any day that we look at as something that is ritualistic and we must do it in order to gain something from Christ, in order to be blessed, that Jesus saying is you're bringing in the old that has been done away with and trying to make it work in the new. You just cannot do it. You just cannot do it. Christ is the reality. He is here. So he says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial. I had a friend who used to say that Tuesday was my day of fasting. And he used to tell everybody that. But now when you go to the scriptures and look at fasting, if it's one thing you're not supposed to do when you fast, it's to proclaim it to anybody. Isn't that right? And when you fast, you just don't stop eating. That's dieting. When you fast, you do something for God that would, you would have done when you ate. In other words, you read, you pray, you study, or something else during the time you would have eaten. That's why when we 
had our prayer meetings there on lunchtime, we would say, hey, come to the prayer meeting, but don't eat. That's just an evidence that, hey, you are fasting. You're not dieting. But there are many people who say, man, if you don't fast at least once a week or three times a month or whatever, you're not really a spiritual Christian. Paul said, that's nonsense. Nonsense. Now, I'm not saying don't fast. I'm not saying that. But make, for, make sure you're doing it for the right reason and in the right way. And fasting is not simply not eating. You could fast in many ways. Fasting simply means that you sacrifice something that is quite legitimate and you give it over to searching after God, reading the word of God or praying. Now, I wish you had time to go in each one of these because each one of these has their illustration today, but we'll just leave it and let uh, you study it. Or the worship of angels. This is mysticism. And this has to do with using spiritual entities in the wrong way. For instance, how many of you get up every morning and go to the papers and look for your, what do you call it? What is it? Horoscope, right. Yeah. All of that has to do with angelic worship, you know. Because where do you get that information from? Where do you think it comes from? You think it comes from the Spirit of God? No. But there's some Christians who look at those horoscopes as though it's God's voice to them. It is not. If it is a voice at all, it's the voice from demons. Saying they have had visions about these things. Now that's today. Everybody's having visions today. Everybody. Visions of all kinds of things. But notice what Paul says. Their sinful minds have made them proud. You see, they glory in these things. Yeah, man, Jesus Christ appeared to me. He had breakfast with me this morning. The Holy Spirit had breakfast with me this morning. And we ate toast and jam and all of that. And I saw him. I saw Jesus. He's nine feet tall. And he could go on and on. And they become proud because nobody else has seen this. Notice he says, their sinful minds have made them proud. Now here's the reason. They are not connected to Christ. That's the reason. They are not connected to Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. These people here that Paul is talking about doing these type of things and becoming proud in what they're doing. They're doing it because they're not connected to Christ. In other words, they're not getting their message from the head, Jesus Christ. They're getting it from themselves. They're working up in their own minds. They are not connected to Jesus Christ, the head of the body. And that's what we need to do, to be connected to Christ at all times. Tremendous message here. These legalistic religionists are to be rejected for three reasons in this passage. First, in verse 17, their insights are mere shadows of reality. Whatever they tell you, it's not substance. There's no substance to it. In verse 18, their visions are false because they are informed by a fleshly mind. In verse 19, they've been, they stopped holding on to Christ. They've rejected Christ. 
Legalistic false teachers are still with us today, my friends. And so Paul's advice is for us today. Beware. But remember this. The only way you could beware is if you will be aware. You understand what I'm saying? The only way you could beware of these is if you be aware of them. You be, I must become knowledgeable of them. You must understand the times in which you are living. My direction, my new direction in ministry now is going to be based on the phase you have in Second Chronicles concerning the sons of Issachar. The Bible says the sons of Issachar understood the times in which they live. But it doesn't stop there. I knew what to do. Many Christians who know what to do today in the midst of all of this deception and false teaching simply because they are not aware of the times in which we live. When you read the teaching of Jesus Christ, the teaching of the apostles, one of the things they warn, one of the major things they warn you about is in the last days is going to be a time of deception. Deceivers and false teachers are going to be all around. You must be aware of that. You must be conscious of what's happening. You must be able to discern the spirits when you listen to people who preach. You're listening to me. Just don't take what I say as being it. Be like the Bereans and be an honorable person like Paiswell. Search the scriptures to see if these things be true. That's what we're talking about here. Amen? Notice now, he says, For he, who is this he? This is Jesus Christ. He holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, as you and me. And it grows as God nourishes it. The only way that you and I could be nourished as a part of the body of Christ is if we are getting our directions from the head. Not from what man says. And listen, the church today is following the precepts of man more than the precepts of God. I mean every aspect of the church. I'm, I mean that. I have a real fear for the direction of the church of Jesus Christ today. Really do. You see? And... Uh, we must speak. How do you get connected to the head? How do you get a message from the head? How does my foot get a message from my brain? First, I must be connected. My foot must be connected. Isn't that right? Think of it spiritually now. Jesus Christ is our head. How does he get a message to us? Through his word. Through the enablement of the spirit of God. That's how we get the message from God. And if we really want to hear from God, we really must be in the word of God and allowing the spirit of God to illuminate his word. The word of God is becoming the most important thing in the church to Jesus Christ. It always was. But today, more than ever, it's the word of God. You have to learn the word of God. You have to study the word of God. You have to be sure that those who stand behind this sacred desk are men who know the word of God. Because that's your direction for the future. Now, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4. This is what he says in verse 14. It talks about the God giving to the church apostles, prophets, and teachers in order 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Verse four, then he says, when this is done, when the equippers are equipping the ministers, this is what happens. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, which is happening today. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And that's happening today. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Isn't that beautiful? That's what the church is all about. To grow, to be Christ-like, to be mature. And how do we show that maturity? By loving God and by loving one another. I've said this often through my ministry here. You need me and I need you. I cannot do without you. You cannot do without me. We need one another to grow, to be the kind of person, the kind of body that Jesus Christ wants us to be. He holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes. Notice it. It grows as God nourishes it. Not as we become involved in all kinds of activities, trying to outdo this church, trying to outdo that church, trying to be better than that church. That's not how we grow spiritually. You might grow numerically. You might grow organizationally. You might grow financially, but you will not grow spiritually. And what God is looking for is for a growth that comes from God and not a growth that comes from man. Now he goes on to verse 20. You have died with Christ. This is not a hope or a wish for believers. If you are a believer, this has taken place. You have died with Christ. That's what he called being circumcised by Christ. And notice this, he has set you free. Free from what? The spiritual powers of this world. There's no demonic force that has power over us when we are united to Jesus Christ. None at all. We can oppose the devil and he will flee from us. But first we must submit ourselves to God. Submit yourself to God. The devil will flee from you. But that submitting comes first. But we are free from all of these things that people are saying that we must do if we are going to grow spiritually other than getting it from the word of God. Believers are united with Christ and should be separated from the powers of this fallen world system. You know, we used to talk about uh, letting uh, the church go in, uh, about the church being in the world. We don't have to worry about that anymore because the world is already in the church. You see, we don't have to worry about the church being in the world. The world is already in the church. And one of the major reasons is because we have been disconnected from our head. We're not getting our instructions from the word of God. You have died with Christ and he has set you free 
It was a glorious word. We just celebrated emancipation, but this is real emancipation here, right here. Free from the spiritual powers of the world. So, why do you keep on following the rules of the world? If you're set free from it, why are you doing it? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are examples of human religious rules which do not bring true righteousness. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. I, brought, I was brought up in an in a environment like that. Don't go to the movies. Don't dance. Now you all mightn't believe it, but I could have danced, boy. <laughs> all right? Don't go to Rose Island on Sunday. Right? Those are the things that used to determine whether or not we were real Christians or not. Paul says, hey, you've missed the boat. You've missed it all. Here's the reason, he says. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. You see, every man-made rule is going to go away. It's going to be done away with. But not true spiritual directions from God. They're going to stay here. That's why I could go to my files of sermons. And I've got thousands of sermons. Is that right, Kathy? I don't have enough boxes to take them in now to take away. So I might try to start selling them soon. But anyway, but I have all kinds of messages. I could go to a message that I made up from based on my study of the Word in 1950 and preach the same truth because it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. But now, look at the way you women dress. Look at the way you men dress. Some of us would never dress the way we are dressing today because, hey, it is wrong. Sinful. Right or wrong? Some of you go to the movies today without batting an eyelash, as we say. Isn't that right? No more worries. No Rose Island on Sunday. Man, I don't even think about that. That's why I go to worship. Those man-made rules will be done away with. They will go away as we use them, but not the directions we get from the head Jesus Christ through his word. We can only learn to live in Christ by heeding the written word that he has given to us. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Verse 23, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion. You know, people are committed. Boy, isn't he, she really committed to Christ? Look at that. Only place you can find him is on Sundays in church. He wouldn't even go visit a sick person in church. He wouldn't even go carry food to a needy person on Sunday because you got to be there with the Lord's people. That's devotion, isn't it? I mean, that's commitment. Paul says, be careful. Be careful. Jesus, even Jesus Christ healed on the Sabbath, right? Pious self-denial. Boy, I wish I had time to get to go into this thing. Pious self-denial. Beating up on yourself, not eating, not doing this, not doing that, and you boast about it. And severe bodily discipline. You see pictures of the people in the East, right, who get these whips and they're beating themselves and stuff like that. 
they're doing it to please God, they say. They're doing it to gain the favor of God. Paul says that's all worldly stuff. It's useless. But now we do it in different ways. Talking about fasting. Some people use fasting as a whip on themselves or as a bat to beat, other, beat up other people. They really do. Some people use it as a weapon against God. In other words, they say, now, I want this car. So I'm going to pray and fast. And I'm going to fast until God gives me this car. And they go around telling everybody that, you know, I ain't eating. I ain't ate for two weeks because I want this car. In fact, I just got a letter from a man who asked us to pray for him. And he says, now I want you to pray that I get a, what was it, a BMW? A black one. And he even gave me the year. A black BMW 2000 and something. He says, now pray until God gives me this car. Some of us will fast and we say that we're doing these things to make God do something for us. That's foolishness. That's what Paul calls it here. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But, this is the word of God now, they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. I remember when we were studying church history, we learned about these monks and people who would go into the caves to get away from the world. But you know what most of them found? They couldn't get away from the world even in a cave. In fact, they had more temptations and thoughts of evil things in the cave than they had outside. There was one they called the Pillar Saint. I don't know. Uh, what's your name? Terence, do you remember that? It was his name. I can't remember his name. Something the Pillar Saint. He went on this long, high pillar. He climbed up on it. And he stayed on that for years and years. Rain, storm, everything else. Because he wanted to get away from the lusts of the world. He came down after a few years. Because he said he found more of the lusts of did than he found on the ground. You see? He cannot get away from these things. The only way that we can is if we experience the circumcision of Jesus Christ. When he cuts us off from the evil nature, from the old nature, when he cuts us off from these things and then unites us to the head, Jesus Christ, <coughs> then we get the message from him. That's why I say to you, the Bible right now, the word of God is the most important thing you can own that you can possess. But unless you study it, it's no good to you at all. Unless you taught it in your Sunday school, in your, in your small group, in your mini churches from the pulpit, you need to hear the message from God. The only way you can learn to live in the living word is if you are living in the written word. Do you understand what I'm saying? The only way you can live in the living word is if you are living in the written word. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Take a few moments of quiet reflection. If God has spoken to you in any way, if you've never yet received Christ as your Savior, and you believe the Spirit of God is speaking to you to do that right now, do it right where you are. 
You can let me or one of the other pastors know of that decision in Christ. Perhaps you need to make a commitment concerning your study of the word of God. Whatever it is that you made, a decision you need to make, do that right now in the quietness of your soul. Because this transaction is between you and God alone. Make it then in the quietness and privacy of your own soul. Father, thank you for your word, the written word that leads us to the living word. May we be true students of the word so that we might really be able to receive the messages from our head, Jesus Christ, so that we might be like him, we might grow towards spiritual maturity and come to love you and to love one another more day by day. And all of God's people said, Amen.